Dr. Lucy Pangrazio, author of the book Young People's Literacies in the Digital Age and research fellow at the Center for Research in Educational Impact in Australia, talks to find out why about data literacies and young people's digital worlds. It's not really sufficient to just say to kids, you can't be on this or that. They need support and the skills to critically examine the platforms that they use. As well as creative ways to materialize digital data for critical analysis. And we were able to show the kids how the data that they were sharing through the app was processed and the kinds of inferences that could be made on the basis of that processing. interview, we asked Dr. Pagrazio to introduce her current work on materializing data. So my current project is really looking at the way data is materialized or represented to people. And here I'm sort of thinking of graphs and metrics and dashboards. They're the, the dominant ways that we encounter data. But this project is really focusing on how we can materialize it differently to arrive at different understandings. What was the drive for pursuing this project? The last couple of years I've been trying to support young people to develop their data literacies. And if I go back a couple of steps from my PhD where I looked at how young people were using digital platforms in their lives, and key to that seemed to be data and privacy. The most recent project was we we actually built a little um, chat app for kids to use for a week. But the key thing about the app was that it actually mimics the commercial data processing that takes place on a lot of platforms. And we were able to show the kids how the data that they were sharing through the app was processed and the kinds of inferences that could be made on the basis of that processing. I wonder what was the most fascinating element for the children who used this app? Actually materialising the data, enabling them to see it and kind of get a sense of what we're talking about when we say data privacy was was really key. So the most important part to that chat app was the geolocational data because they it actually materialised where they had been travelling in the last week as a series of red dots on a map and they found that creepy. And so there was a really effective response to it, which for us was was great because they could feel the data in a way and and then that meant that they were more inclined to actually change their settings and do things differently to, to protect and manage their data. So this current project is, is an extension of that really. So just looking at, at new ways to materialise data, whether that be through, you know, different kinds of images or um, giving people more power to, to kind of uh, change or show them the data that's generated and then what what can be done with it. One question that comes in my mind when we discuss about that is, is how do you conceptualize datification? Datification really relates to more and more aspects of, of society now. You know, it's not just about privacy and surveillance, although they're, you know, two really key things. Um, it's really changed, I think, how we think about ourselves and how we kind of engage with the world and for that reason it's like a quite a paradigmatic shift you know we're not just talking about 
a small thing. It's it's a it's a new way of kind of understanding the world. And I think for, for young people in particular, that is shaping what they encounter online, you know, just as a simple example. But you know, if we look at schools, um, it was also also shaping their opportunities that are made available to them as well. I mean, datafication has become quite all-encompassing. So we're not just talking about the array of platforms and sensors and data generating technologies, but also the huge advances that we're now seeing in data processing. And this is creating large data sets that are then correlated in ways that are often um, beyond the, the user's kind of comprehension. We can't see it. Um, and this has social and economic consequences. Ultimately, it leads to categorization and the sort of social sorting of people. And, um, and that really does intensify disadvantage and marginalization for certain groups. And there's been some really brilliant work on that. Datification is, is, a, is a kind of a, a big all-encompassing kind of at, at many different layers in society. I guess there is an opportunity for policy recommendations that can come up from your work? That might come. I, one, one aspect of the project, I actually want to look at how data is materialised in the family home and, and that kind of coincides with my work on the Centre for the Digital Child as well. So um, we're trying to think about all the ways, all the devices and platforms and, and ways that data is materialised in the home and how different groups across, Australian, across Australia Um, understand and navigate those different devices and platforms. Uh, so potentially it will have policy implications, but um, not, not just yet. Um, certainly, certainly recommendations around support for particular groups, that's one outcome I'm imagining. Would you rather say that um, your approach is sort of bottom-up? Yes, I would say it is a bottom-up approach. And in fact, that's my, all my work has really looked at, you know, kind of tried to speak back to that technologically determinist kind of this is, this is what will happen. Um, so not utopian, not dystopian, but somewhere in, in between looking at what, you know, users can do to make the situation better. Um, but as I kind of research this more and more, I, I'm, I'm realising that we really need both bottom-up and top-down. The individual alone can't really provide great res resistance to some of these big tech companies. Otherwise, you end up kind of missing out on experiences um, or compromising, making compromises that are unfair. So I'm sort of bottom up, but I'd like to work with more top down to, to get, get the kind of hit the sweet spot. With your work, you're basically analyze your data critically. How is that Uh, different from research in general, from research methodologies in general? Well, I think the first thing to say is that I kind of see it as um, integral to um, research in general. Um, and, it, and it really should be, most research is kind of critical to a degree. But I think the goal, if I'm to sort of think um, about this a bit more, really the goal of this work is to try to move beyond or help my participants work move beyond critique. Um, there's, there's a lot of work on you know, making people aware of the different kinds of ways they're being tracked and profiled, or not a lot, but there is a growing body of work around that. But at the same time, I think awareness uh, is great, but without a kind of uh, opportunity to act and change things, um, people can become, you know, can 
feel powerless. And, and that's really not something as a researcher that I want to, you know, instill in any of my participants. So I've always tried to kind of couple the critique element with some strategies and tactics that they can use to do things differently. It hasn't always worked, but I think, um, you know, it's kind of a matter of small steps and trialling different approaches and then seeing what works in the everyday context. You know, and for young people whose social lives are online, you know, some of the kind of messaging around, you know, being, being private and not sharing this and that, it's just not realistic because, you know, connection involves sharing. So, it's trying to find that medium where what can actually work to protect data and um, and what could we do differently to, to kind of maybe just feel a little better about what it is. Um, personal data literacies. This is a term that you coin a lot at your work and for us and find out why is really interesting to know how it can be integrated in a structural debate of individual data literacy. The first thing to say here is that our datafication isn't all bad and I think you know in some instances in schools and you know in society of course can help make processes more efficient. It can um, you know personalize experiences, it can help people navigate news and information. You know there's a wealth of information on the internet and a lot of people are completely bamboozled by it but so you know data essentially does help in that process of personalization but if we're talking about I guess the responses to the challenges of datafication those kinds of issues of data surveillance, surveillance privacy um, mis misinformation then I think personal data literacies can be involved in both that bottom-up you know the user being able to adjust their privacy settings and perhaps use some ad blockers and technical filters and maybe even data obfuscation. I'm not sure if you're familiar with that term, but trying to kind of disrupt the processing of data in a way. Data literacy is certainly key to, to all of that because you need a certain amount of um, understanding of how datafication works, but also the skills and strategies to enact those defences or resistances but I think you're also, it's also necessary for the top-down response as well because you need to be aware of how your digital rights are being kind of violated if you want to claim them. And I think digital literacies can play a really important role in informing people about what's appropriate or not for, from tech companies. There is this claim that when the focus is on the individual user, then discussions of data are pushed over subjectivity and fragmentation. What is your opinion? Uh, yeah, this is a really interesting question. And I think for me and my work, I've looked more at it being an issue of uh, self-responsabilisation. So there's this sense of kind of individual blame or taking responsibility for it when the terms and conditions of many platforms are so ridiculously long and difficult to understand, but just that that business model even exists, that someone's kind of something that they've shared with a friend can be is ultimately owned by the platform and can be used and you know, profited from. That sort of sense of self-responsabilisation is deeply problematic. And I think it does relate to subjectivity and fragmentation in that that kind of deep inward turn that comes with, you know, it's my fault, I did the wrong thing, that does kind of uh, fragment and make that individual feel as if they're on their own 
in this sort of battle. That said, I think um, collective responses, certainly in my work with young people, like just talking with them about issues has been really powerful because digital technologies are highly individualised. They kind of do make you feel like you're on your own, but providing spaces for young people to just have a chat about things that have happened is really powerful and certainly the strategies and tactics as well, that's also been really um, um, helpful just to kind of think through through together what can work. What are some strategies and tactics in these conversations? Well, we used the chat app with them and they saw how their data was being processed and there was an element of shock and then we kind of worked with them in some, um, what can we do to protect it? And so some some tried ad blockers, you know, and um, ghostery and some some free software. And there is a lot of stuff out there. Um, and they used, tried to use that some of that for a week and then come back and report on it. Um, some changed their privacy settings. Others did some, like, tried to kind of change when they were taking photos, try to distort elements of their face, you know, like pull a face, so that their sentiment analysis couldn't pick up their emotion or to try and kind of disrupt it a bit. But what we found was, although that was all sort of quite novel and fun, um, in the main, it, it actually doesn't really work that well with their social lives because they want to connect with others. They don't want to be not tracked and not seen. So, you know, you have this real dilemma between doing that sort of obfuscatory strategies and tactics, but then, you know, sort of having to kind of turn that off in order to connect with, with friends. Um, I think there's still more work to be done there and, and we'll keep kind of trying. And, of course, all the technology is changing, so a lot of the free software is, is getting better and better. And, yeah, so there's, there's definitely kind of room for improvement. I think there's a confusion sometimes between data protection and privacy. What's the difference between those two concepts? The way I see it is that data protection is really about protecting data from unauthorized use. use. So in a, in a way, it's up to the companies to kind of uh, protect your data from data breaches. And that's often more of a technical kind of responsibility or response, I should say, whereas data privacy is more about who has access to it and it's an authorized access. So it's managed through privacy settings as well. So it's more socially determined to me. And I guess you can choose who and when you have privacy from. And I think it's supported by regulation, uh, particularly when you think about companies sharing data with, you know, data brokers. And then there's this concept of cyber safety. Is that something that in Australia is well documented or understood? It comes from a kind of protectionist discourse where it's about, you know, risk aversion, really. Um, and again, it comes back to that kind of self-responsibilised sort of, you know, you need to be careful. But we know Sonia Livingston has done some excellent work on looking at how risk and opportunity kind of go hand in hand. So it's not really sufficient to, to just say to kids, you know, you can't be on this or that. They need support and the skills to kind of critically examine the, the platforms that they're using. So I think that's where critical digital literacies comes in and it can really help young people to develop that sense of agency online. And the other aspect, I suppose, if we think about 
that traditional approach to literacies is that there's like a reading and a writing component to literacy. So it's not just interpreting the information, but also being able to redesign, reimagine, rewrite some of these technologies, even if that just happens in a discussion that's powerful. It might not actually go on and enact change at the tech company level, but how might we do this differently? So to me, digital literacy enriches cyber safety uh, a lot. The way I've always looked at digital literacies has been thinking about these enclosures where we spend all our time as a kind of text that we need to really unravel and, and think about, you know, what is the design of these things? Why uh, is everything blue? <laughs> Why are the images so large? Who benefits from us being on here for a long time? And it's beginning to kind of take hold I'd say and that's because of you know the recent year we in the recent years we've had those you know Cambridge Analytica and various things like that have made people aware of the fact that these are not neutral spaces. This was Dr. Lucy Pangratio, author of the book Young People's Literacies in the Digital Age and Research Fellow at the Center for Research in Educational Impact. I'm Elena Giola for Find Out Why. <laughs>